Did you know that there are over 65 million Gen Xers, yet so few financial advisors focus on Gen X? Why? It's because you aren't rich. Yet. Welcome to the Gen X Money Advisor with Michael Labus, certified financial planner, certified college funding specialist, and founder of Gen X Wealth Partners. This podcast focuses on the specific needs of Gen Xers by a Gen Xer. Get ready to explore topics that will help you get your retirement on track, maximize your dollar towards your child's education, and successfully manage aging parents. We will even sprinkle in a little health and wellness, travel and leisure, and time and stress management. Come and experience the expertise of Michael and his special guests who focus on enhancing the quality of your life today and in the future. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to the Gen X Money Advisor with Michael Labus. This is part two of two shows about open enrollment. And as Michael pointed out in part one, reviewing and choosing benefits should get some time and attention from you, but that is not usually the case. I'm Patrice Sikora. Michael, in the first show, you did talk about the obvious benefit choices that have to be made. Health insurance, dental and vision, life insurance, and the like. But this time, we're going to tackle some other topics, including 401ks, pensions, family leave, and even remote work. So where do you want to start? I think I'm going to start with the 401ks. That is the, when everybody thinks about uh, employee benefits, open enrollment, I think people focus on the 401ks because that's the most interesting one per se. And there's so many things to consider when looking at your 401k. Uh, The first thing is you have to participate. Uh, I understand that sometimes it's paycheck to paycheck, but this is such an important benefit that you're receiving. And and I'll get into that right now. So let's just start at the beginning with the 401ks. Typically, 401ks are in the form of a traditional 401k, which means you put money in, it's pre-tax. And then when you take the money out at retirement, it's taxable. They also have a Roth 401k, which is the opposite, which means you put money in after tax. And when you take money out, it's tax-free. So sometimes people ask me, which one's the best for me? If you have the Roth option, based upon you know, the younger that you are or the higher income bracket you are, that becomes even more attractive, especially since we've had our standard deductible increased, whereas most people do not itemize their taxes. If you're looking at that, if you're younger and in a higher tax bracket, take advantage of that Roth, especially with the potential legislation out there that may eliminate the backdoor Roth IRA for higher earners. This might be the only avenue for you to get tax-free income. With the pending legislation out there that may eliminate the backdoor Roth IRA, the opportunities for higher income earners to have tax-free income is, is being uh, reduced. So this Roth 401k might be your only option to do that in years to come. So if your company offers this, I would recommend taking a good hard look at that. But now, Michael, do, do a lot of companies offer it? Or is it still an exception? Not as many as you would think. And I would think a smaller company 
where a business owner participates would want this option because they're probably a high income earner. Bigger companies, it's not as prevalent, but I still think it should be made an option. So that might be an opportunity for you to talk to your employer and be like, hey, I heard about this Roth 401k. Can we get that? Because I think if more people knew about it, they, they would want it. Agreed. Agreed. Totally. Once we figured out the, uh, the Roth or the traditional option, which is best for us, once we figure that out, next thing to consider is, is there a company match? If so, how much? And what is the vesting schedule? So I'll, I'll explain to that. A company match, that's pretty much straightforward. Most companies will give you uh, free money. And I, I like free money. I hope you do too. <laughs> Who doesn't, uh, right? Yeah, it's rhetorical. That's why you have to participate. If you're on the sideline, you're missing out on this incredible opportunity. Uh, a very traditional company match is 3% dollar for dollar. What that means is you put in 3% of your own money. They're going to put 3% of their money in there on your behalf for free. Sometimes you have different match scenarios where it might be uh, 3, 3% dollar for dollar, then 50% match per dollar up to 6%. Or it could be dollar for dollar for 4% and then a 50% match up to 6%. So for those last 2% in that scenario, you'd get 1%. So you put in 6 and uh, you would get four uh, free money. That's to encourage you to put more money in. Again, it's free money. Then the vesting schedule, and this is something that I don't think enough people really take a look at, but from your perspective, it's how long it's going to take for the free money to be yours. And it's also a way that employers will keep you employed with them because if you leave, then you lose that free money. Your contributions are always vested. They can't take that away from you. But the money that they put into it, they can. And that's dependent upon how the company wants to set up the plan. I myself manage a few 401k plans. And I always ask the employer, what, what do you want to do here? And I've seen answers across the board. I've seen people say, well, after a year, you know, it's theirs. I've seen companies say, I want to have a graded schedule. So one year it's 20%, second year 40, third 60, fourth 80, then the fifth year, then it's all your money. So if you left after two years, 40% of their contributions will be yours. The rest they would retain. So you have to look at that and re remember, you know, what if you do leave, what you're leaving on the table. I'm not saying that you would stick with a company just for that match, but if you're on the fence, maybe that persuades you to stay or vice versa. You might want to time your exit. Correct. Yes. I can actually, I'll tell a story about that. that just, that's, that's good. Okay. I'll tell a story about that timing your exit here uh, in a little bit when we, we get that different topic. So once we've picked the Roth or traditional, figured out the company match, the vesting schedule, once we've enrolled, now, what do we do? So now you have to look at your investment options. And I hope that your provider is giving you education because at the office, I have heard from people that 
They all pick the same funds. There's one guy who thinks he knows everything about the market and everybody follows him because he, he sounds good. He sounds intelligent, but you have to make it about yourself. And some 401ks will have a default investment choice. And that might be what they call a target date fund. And a target date fund will basically manage that money based upon, or manage your money based upon your expected retirement date. So if you were 30 years old today, 2021, they're going to assume that you're going to retire at 65. So add 35 years to 2021, you're probably going to be invested in a 2055 target date fund. And that's totally fine. It's actively managed and you can almost set it and forget it. If you want to take more risk, less risk, because just even though you're going to retire in 35 years, you might be really aggressive or you might be a really conservative investor. That target date fund does not know that. It's going to assume certain characteristics about you. So if you want a more personalized investment, you're going to have to look at the investment lineup and make those decisions. So if you're working with an advisor, I would ask them for some help on that. Do not ask your cube mate or office mate. You know, be a you know, I mean, maybe it might work out for you, but uh, they're just going to base their recommendation to you off of their own perspective. Let me ask this: If you choose an option, do you have the chance to change that option at any time going forward? Yes, some funds may have a holding period. They don't really push or want you to actively trade. These are mutual funds. These are not stocks. These are not ETFs. Some plans may have those in them, but for the most part, we're talking mutual funds. They're not meant to be actively traded. I would say if you're trading these actively, you're probably doing more harm than good. I've seen that too. I have seen that too. Keep it simple. And I'll talk to you about how to keep it simple next. This is a long-term investment. So if you're, if you're 30 and you are just going to start with the company, you're going to be able to take advantage of a couple of things here. The first one is dollar cost averaging. And that's a really fancy term for putting money in incrementally on schedule. And over time, you're going to benefit from a time-weighted average, which basically means you're not buying at the low, you're not buying at the high in any given market, you're getting a time-weighted average return. So that is a good way to smooth out the ride and not try to time the market because quite honestly, you, if you try to do all these things, adding on to it, it's too many things have to go right for you to benefit from that. Trying to time the market, over-trading your mutual funds within your 401k, it's not in your best interest. And it takes a lot of time. It does. If that is what you want to do, you know, have a small play account that money that you can afford to have set aside and do it in that account, not your 401k. So once we have recognized that we have a target date option, or we should seek advice from our advisor, not our neighbor, once you've got that set up. The next thing to do, which is also super important, is to make sure that your beneficiaries are, are correct. Life changes. 
you, you might have someone new in your life that you want to add as a beneficiary. You might have gotten divorced and forgot to take in your ex off of your account. I've seen that before. You might want to change percentages. You might need to add a contingent beneficiary, which is something happens to your primary, then that contingent would then become the primary. Super important to have a contingent, by the way. You don't want your estate to get this money. Uh, that just creates havoc down the road. So once you've got that set up, there's a couple nuances in a 401k plan. And one of them is a new feature because quite honestly, Americans, we don't have enough saved for retirement. And they're always trying to protect ourselves from ourselves or put us in a position to help our, ourselves without even knowing it. And one of them is what they call an auto escalation. So what this means is that each year, your contribution percentage will go up until it reaches typically 10%. If you're just starting out and you say to yourself, well, I want to participate to get that free money, I'm going to put in 3% because they're going to give me 3% and that's pretty cool. Next year, if you don't look at this, your percentage is going to go up to 4% and then 5 and then 6 And if as long as you're getting raises to offset that, then you won't see it. But if you're not getting raises, that might hurt your budget, so to speak. So make sure that you are aware of this auto escalation feature in the 401k plan. And that would be something that I would hope you're getting education on when you do enroll with the company. Talk to the HR person and say, hey, can I get as much information as possible? This is a very important topic. And if you're, if, if you're not getting that information, then you have to do some digging on your own. So spend more than the 15 minutes, like I said, this is well worth your time. The 401k is such a crucial part, and this is long-term, and you can always change this. And one more thing I want to say is make sure that you rebalance your 401k. This paired with dollar cost averaging is a great way to increase your returns over time. So rebalancing you can elect that in your plan. Some plans might say quarterly, semi-annually, annually. I say just keep it annually. And what this does is it forces you to sell your winners and buy your losers. And that sounds counterintuitive, but the market in any given year does not repeat itself. So what worked in 2021 probably isn't going to work in 2022. What worked in 2020 definitely did not work in 2021. <laughs> yes. I could talk about that for a while. <laughs> As an example, if you did a rebalance, you would have sold, if you did it for 2021, you would have sold what worked in 2020 was your big caps, large cap stocks. So you might have taken some profit there and you would have bought in maybe some small cap stocks for 2021. And that's an example. Or you might have, uh, if you had some exposure to say, what worked did not work in 2020 was oil. I mean, oil was horrible. So maybe you would have picked up some oil for 2021 and that's done very well for you. That's an example of rebalancing and why forcing yourself to sell your winners and buy your losers 
actually is in your best interest over time. If you do all these things, now your 401k is working for you, not against you. You're participating, you're getting the free money, your beneficiaries will be up to date. So if something happens to you, you're confident that your loved ones will get the money they deserve. You're not going to have these auto escalation features enabled unless you want them to. And the big one, Roth versus traditional. If you don't have that Roth option, talk to your employer about that. That's a big benefit because you can put a lot more money in there than say a Roth IRA. How about family leave? Is that a benefit that you really need to pay attention to? Can you negotiate that? Talk to me. This is another big topic today uh, in Washington, but we'll keep that discussion in Washington. This was be based upon what's available today. And family leave is traditionally uh, a benefit that is offered via the Family Medical Leave Act. And this is for companies that have over 50 employees. Basically, it allows you to have 12 weeks of unpaid leave. And most people in this situation, given their benefits, if they have signed up for these, will use either short-term disability or paid time off to receive some pay during this period. Because that is a long period of time to not have a paycheck coming. It is. Yeah. It's, it's there in case something really bad happens. Uh, you know, a family member's sick, a spouse is sick, you're sick. And interestingly enough, you know, fathers, we might be eligible as well. So don't just think of this as maternity leave, so to speak, uh, which is a common use of, you know, Family Medical Leave Act is when you're pregnant, you can, you know, take time off. But fathers might be eligible for this as well to take care of the, the mother. This is a big one. And I know it's big because it's being talked about in Washington, but just recognize that this is not paid time. So make sure that you can afford to take this time off. This is also companies, you said, employers of more than 50 employees. Have you heard of companies with fewer employees doing this as well? Not under the Family Medical Leave Act. That's a federal plan. Smaller employers, I always say that they have more wiggle room, they're more creative. They might let just let you do that on their own. Uh, and you'd have to have some type of arrangement with them uh, via paid or not paid. I would imagine that it's probably going to be unpaid, but it wouldn't be under a formal um, regulation. And we mentioned, um, at least I mentioned in the introduction, remote work. Well, remote work is everywhere these days, face it. That is, I think weaning people off of that is going to prove to be more difficult than some of the employers out there are thinking. But talk to me about remote work. This is a hot topic. I have a lot of, of my friends who have worked remotely during this time period. I myself, I work out of my house by design, and I've seen the benefits from working from home rather than going to an office. So how does an employer justify having people come back in the office? They have a vested interest in that because they might have leases on commercial real estate. They might benefit from that from being able to better manage you, per se. I might, I might question the latter. A lot of my friends have worked remotely and not seen their production go down. Actually, they're happier. If you're not client-facing or needed to be hands-on, I don't know how employers are going to have a compelling argument to come, have you back come to the office unless your job is tied to that. 
that could be a way they force you back in. Uh, so if I was getting hired, I might want to say, hey, can I work from home? Think about from this perspective. Uh, I live in a suburb of Pittsburgh. If I was to go to the office and I work downtown, 40-minute drive, filling up my gas tank three times a week. Do the math. The car is depreciating. You're spending money on gas, which is not being, uh, it's not a business expense. You have to spend your time. And that's time that you could be sleeping, time you could be with your family, time you could be doing other things. You lose time you could be working. Time you could be working. So I always say things happen for a reason and we have to look, find the good and bad. And although COVID has been a horrible experience, there has been some good things to come out of this. And I think remote work is one of them. So I think companies need to really look at this from, especially in, in uh, this perspective, in a, in a scenario where we're not having the best of luck hiring people, people are on the sidelines waiting for jobs is do we want to force people to come to the office or let them work from home? I mean, that's effectively a raise. Think about it. If you work from home, you have all these benefits. You go back to the office, it's almost like a pay decrease. It's almost, like a, it's almost like a punishment. So as, please, employees, if you're, if you're listening to this, don't punish your employees. If they're still productive at home and they haven't taken a step backwards, let them work from home. I guarantee you they'll be happier and they'll be really appreciative of that. And they'll probably work harder because they don't want to go back to the office. You could hold that. You could dangle that little carrot. Say, okay, if you're going to work from home, these are the, the things you have to hit, the, the goals you have to hit. If you don't, you come back to the office. They'll hit the goals. I promise you, <laughs> they will hit the goals. And clients too. Even if you are client-facing, clients have gotten used to this. In fact, I talk to other advisors and they say their clients enjoy it because they don't feel they have to get up and get dressed nicely to have an, a face-to-face -face meeting. And they don't have to come into any office to meet with the advisor. They are at home. I can say this from my personal experience, having my company, having it virtual. For 80% of my client meetings, I, I wear a fun t-shirt and I'm relaxed. I've never had one client say to me, hey, Mike, why aren't you wearing a suit? It's never happened. I don't think people care about your clothes. They care about what you're saying and the value and the quality of what you're saying. Yes. Never been about the clothes. I think one client might have joked me once and said, hey, wait, where's your suit? And I said, I don't think I'll be wearing suits. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's the point? Although I do have some nice suits I bought in February of 2020, which, yeah, <laughs> good timing on that one. Good <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I've worn them you know, as much as I can, but yeah, good timing on that one. Yeah. So the whole working from home thing, let, let the employers know that you value this. Do you have any outstanding student loans? I do not. I do not. I'm, I'm free and clear of the student loans, but I know that a lot of people aren't. And I had it relatively easy. And I took a long time to pay my loans off because the interest rate was lower. And I thought with myself, hey, let's put the money in the market. That's just how I think. I, I have a high risk tolerance. But a lot of companies will actually help you with your student loans. 
it's a way to attract employer employees. I'm sorry. Now it sounds great, but just to let you know that if you do get help from your employer on student loans, that this is a taxable benefit. So if they paid off fifty thousand dollars of your student loans, that's going Uncle Sam's gonna look at that as income and tax you on it. I was gonna say if you're just starting out though, hopefully your tax bracket isn't that high. Maybe benefit. Certainly. And most often these benefits come down the road. So here's an example of that. There's something called the public service loan forgiveness program out there. So if you work for certain employers, typically these will be in perhaps underprivileged neighborhoods or working with underprivileged demographics. If you work there for an extended period of time, they will be forgiven. Typically, this is over a 10-year period. Now, during that period, you have to be making payments on your student loans. And these payments are primarily in what they call income-driven plans. So you would make your payments based upon your income. And that is something that you would have to determine with the student loan provider and enroll, apply for and get approved and show documentation. But this whole process can be very beneficial to you as long as you get the income-driven plan and make 120 payments. So that's one way that, again, I, I think that a lot of things that are out there for us are there to motivate people to do things. And this is motivating people to work in these underprivileged uh, neighborhoods and with underprivileged demographics because it may not be the highest paying, but if you've got a ton of student loan debt, okay, yeah, that makes sense, right? Because you're going to have $100,000 wiped clean off of your books um, because of that job. So you look at it from a long-term perspective also. You know, doctors might have this, lawyers may have this, you know, a lot of healthcare professionals might have this option, uh, so on and so forth. So that's a big one to look at. And we're getting into more fringe benefits here, but that's what employee benefits are. It's a package and every company is a little different. So if you have the opportunity to get your loan repaid, I would, I would see that through. And also another area, when we mentioned health insurance, the first time around, you went through that. What about wellness programs? This is an interesting benefit. So companies will actually will have these wellness programs in place. I know my girlfriend has one as an example. She works for a big company. And if you participate in the wellness programs, you will get further benefits. And one of these further benefits is contributions towards your health savings account. Now, you'd have to have a health savings account established and in place to receive these benefits, but this is another form of free money, like the 401k. We like free money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if when you took out your health insurance policy, if you decided to have a health savings account, which does require a higher deductible health, save, or health insurance plan, if you are able to afford a higher deductible, having an HSA can be another place to get a tax deduction. Nice thing about health savings accounts is that when you put the money in, take the money out for health, health expenses, it's tax-free. So you get a deduction and tax-free. 
uh, similar to a 529 account, which is for education. That's a different topic for a different day. You participate in the wellness program, and then you're going to get free money towards your health savings account. Hopefully, this wellness program will motivate you to be healthier, which is a, also, always a good thing, another fringe benefit, and also you know, due to education and also the free money for the health savings account. Professional development. How many companies these days really will, will pay for or help you get creds? I like topic based upon the view from the employer. Let's say you have a good employee and you want to develop that employee. It might make sense for you to say, hey, we'll pay for you to go back to school, get your master's in XYZ and, and work for us. And they will give you money towards these advanced degrees or designations. In the other side of the equation, if you get these, you're going to have to work with them for a certain period of time, or then they're going to you know, ask you for that money back. So it's really a win-win. I, I've seen periods as you know, around three years. After three years, you could say, peace, thank you, I'm out. But it's really a win-win especially when you're looking at careers that require higher degrees for advancement. It's really a win-win. So if that's another benefit that's out there, you might want to inquire about that. It's another form of free money. Think about all this free money that you could get from your employer. You know, We start with the 401k, 3%, 4% of your salary. Do the math on that. Then you've got health savings contributions. Add that on there. Then you've got the professional development. That could be thousands of dollars. I mean, we're talking tons of money here for free. But what if you're self-employed? But what if you don't have a big employer? Or any employer, you are the employer. There are some definite pros and cons with that. And yeah, the whole, whole time I've been talking about the employee for a bigger company or a smaller company. But what if you're self-employed? I'm self-employed. How have I overcome the lack of an employee benefits plan? So you really have to mimic a bigger company's plan, but you can do this and you can piece it together yourself. So you have open architecture. You have full control of that. That's the pro. You can customize this for you. You're not having to worry about anybody else. So how do I do this personally? How do I do this? Now, health insurance, you have every state's, different. They got their own plans, but I was able to go out there and find, and I'm paying for both sides. Typically with health insurance, your employer is paying for part, you're paying for part. I'm paying for everything, but I get to deduct my whole premium because it's a business expense, but I'm able to go out there and put together the best plan that I can for myself. So with the health insurance, I was able to find a very good plan with a reasonable deductible that allowed me to have an HSA, which I can then max out so I'm paying more for it, but it's totally customized and I can deduct the expenses, which is pretty cool. When you get your, as an employee, you can only deduct like your 401k as an example. You're not able to deduct your health insurance premium as an expense, as an example. Disability insurance. Now, I do not deduct this because I bought a personal policy because then my benefits are tax-free. If you have a disability policy through your employer and they're paying for it, then your benefit becomes taxable. So I have my own disability policy right. long-term. 
I do not have short term. I should probably take my own advice and look into that. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably do that. I have enough in emergency funds, but I should probably do that because that's why you buy insurance, right? Looking at life insurance. I have life insurance, personal life insurance. And although it's not as cheap because I'm not part of a group, again, I can customize this. I don't have to have term. One of the big things about participating in a group plan is it's not portable. My insurance follows me wherever I go. It's not mm -hmm. tied to a group. So that's another benefit. Paid time off. I can take off whenever I want, <laughs> but and it, it, I guess it's paid because I'm paying myself. So you have more flexibility with that, flexibility with that, especially with your employees. If if, I, if my assistant said to me, "Hey, Mike, I, I need to take tomorrow off," I'd probably say, "Let me look at the calendar." We could probably swing it. Four hundred one k pension. I don't have a pension. I don't have a four hundred one k. I have a simple IRA which will probably morph into a 401k. I just hired my first staff member and we're talking about that. But it's, it's personalized, it's customized. And I can control my company match, mm -hmm. how much vesting. I, you have, the point here is you have total control and open architecture. You can pick any provider you want with your 401k your, at your job. It's probably managed by a company and you can't change that it's, or it's difficult to change it. I can pick whoever I want, have the best pricing, best investment options. So, But how does, how does a small business owner know all this stuff? Can they come to you for help? They, I hope they would come to me for help because just, just because you understand what a, a SEP IRA or a simple IRA or a 401k is, that doesn't mean that you know where to begin. There's paperwork that are required. Now, the SEP IRA is if you're truly self-employed, just you and yourself, the SEP is the, probably the best option because it's easy to administer and you can put up to 25% of your W-2 salary in a SEP IRA. So if you, I, I want to say I'm on the spot here. So let's say it's over a quarter of a million dollars. You can put up to 25% of that value into your SEP which is a heck mm -hmm. of a lot more than you could in a 401k. So if you're self-employed <laughs> and you make a lot of money, the SEP is where it's at. Otherwise, you're looking at, uh, in terms of your ability to sock money away, SEP is number one, 401k is number two, simple will be uh, number three, and then a regular Roth or traditional IRA would be number four. So think of it from that perspective, how much money am I making? Do I have employees? Do I want to put money in for them? If so, how much? Those are all the things that I ask myself if I was self-employed or the owner of a small business. And you can always change those as well. So you're not tied in. If you want to have a SEP one year and you want to set up a 401k the next year because you want to have a Roth option, so to speak, uh, that could be something that you could consider. You know, Weigh, weigh the pros and cons. How can someone reach you if they, they have these questions or they, have, they need some education? I would say first thing would be to check out my website, which is genxwealthpartners.com. Secondly, email me at michael at genxwealthpartners.com. Third would be call me, 724-237-4584. I love talking about these things. Trust me, you will not bore me 
or, you know, catch me and in, in, in when I'm not in the mood, because I'm always in the mood to talk about this. As crazy <laughs> as that sounds, I do enjoy talking about these things. It's about maximizing your benefits. And I don't mind doing the math. You know, I mentioned the SEP versus the Roth 401k. Long-term, let's do the math on this. Is having the tax deduction today versus the tax-free nature down the road, which one's more beneficial to you? I don't mind doing that math. And that's how you maximize your benefits. And this is something that's it's like the constitution. It's a, it's a living and breathing document, your, your employee benefits. So you can always change this. So by all means, do the math, figure out what you want to do for your employees. I, I Be fair. And you want to review this on at least on an annual basis. And that's why we have open enrollment season. I, I, if I was going to advise someone when to start this process, I, I would think August would be a good time to look at some making some changes because you have to have these in place by open enrollment. Michael, lots and lots and lots of good stuff in here, parts one and two. Is there any one wrap-up you'd like to make sure we mention that we have not, although you've covered so much? Uh, yeah, we could talk. I mean, I gave you the cliff notes for the most part on all of these, but to really have an in-depth discussion, I would encourage any small business owner to reach out to me or any participant, uh, for that matter, reach out to me. This is such a big topic and one that I don't think financial advisors spend enough time on. If, if, if people spend 15 minutes on it individually, I think advisors spend less than that with their, with their clients. And that's a shame. I don't mind looking at your health insurance with you or looking at that disability coverage with you or at your life insurance or at your 401k or any other part of that. I don't mind that. That's where the good stuff is. That's, that's where an advisor can add the most value in terms of tying this together. Spend more than 15 minutes. I would say force yourself to spend an hour. A worst case scenario, you're going to learn something new and you're going to uncover a gem that you are not taking advantage of. I, I, I joke about this with my girlfriend. She, she's looking at this right now and she's like, yeah, I found out something. Actually, I'm going off tangent here, but when I was reviewing my health insurance, here is an example of why it's worthwhile. My health insurance, I get it in the mail. They said, oh, your premium's only going to go up $4 if you keep the same plan. So if you just saw that and you're happy with your plan, you're going to say, oh, oh. Fine. Four bucks a month. Oh yeah. Fine. That's inflation. Sure. Okay. I was like, that's hard to believe. Now I'm kind of cynical. I was like, that is hard to believe. I want to see how that is possible. And here's how it was possible. So I look at the policy and I uncovered that what they did was they increased my deductible. Right. Got it that. Went up a decent amount, you know, um, it was maybe $1,200, right? Yeah. For the same coverage. So that's disingenuous at best. That's false advertising. And I said to myself, well, that's not a good deal anymore. And then I, I found another plan that, yeah, the deductible uh, went up a little and my premium went up a little bit, but then I was able to tie a 
health savings account and have a lower out of pocket. And my uh, monthly payment only went up about 60 bucks a month. So I said to have an HSA, to have a lower out of pocket, that's worth 60 bucks to me. I'm getting actually no value out of the $4 uh, policy increase. So that was an example of how I was, I took the time, I investigated it, and now I'm actually have a better policy. So do not look at things on face value. There, there's things that are hidden in here. And if you spend the time and work with someone like myself, I can help you uncover opportunities like this and, and find ways for you not to be I'm going to say, taken advantage of. And that's Michael Labus, host of the Gen X Money Advisor. Follow or subscribe to know when the latest episode is ready for you and share with those around you, friends and family. They might learn something and actually thank you for it. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to the Gen X Money Advisor podcast. Click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Gen X Wealth Partners. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC, Kestra IS, member FNRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC, Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Gen X Wealth Partners is not affiliated with Kestra IS or Kestra AS.